welcome to Stargaze, the Queer Astrology Archives podcast, where we examine the lives of important queer artists, activists, and thinkers through the lens of their astrological birth chart. My name is Ellie, and I'll be your host. All right, happy Cancer season, everyone. Um, in today's episode, we are going to take a look at someone who was a Cancer son and actually had Venus in Leo like we do right now. And Venus is going to retrograde in Leo for uh, most of the rest of the summer. And so I thought it would be nice to spend some time looking at someone who embodied that energy since we're going to be present with it for a long time. So in today's episode, we are going to talk about Sylvia Rivera. Sylvia Rivera was a gay liberation and transgender rights activist, as well as community leader in New York in the years immediately following the Stonewall riots. Along with Marsha P. Johnson, Rivera is often considered to be one of the initial forces of the modern transgender movement. Together, they created and led the organization STAR, which stood for Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, and the Star House, which was a four-bedroom apartment that sheltered gay and trans homeless youth. So Sylvia Rivera was born on July 2nd, 1951 at 2.30 a.m. in the Bronx, New York, um, and I'll include a link to her chart in the show notes. Uh, she was primarily raised by her maternal grandmother after she lost both parents by age three. Rivera was an effeminate child, which her grandmother strongly disapproved of. And as a result, in 1962, just before her 11th birthday, Rivera left home and engaged in survival sex work, living on the streets around Times Square in Manhattan. She was taken in by a group of drag queens, including Marsha P. Johnson, in 1963. Sylvia and Marsha quickly became a duo. Um, Marsha was a couple years older than Sylvia, and their relationship was, like many queer relationships often are, somewhere between um, friendship, mother-daughter, and um, sisters. About their friendship, Sylvia said, One time I was walking across 6th Avenue, and she was standing there on the corner. She called me to her side, and we introduced ourselves, and a very strong sistership was born. We stood by each other and had each other's backs for many years. There's a lot of mythos around the pair, and it can be a little hard to weed through where reality and story met. To many, Sylvia and Marsha are known as the trans women who started Stonewall, the riot against police violence that began on June 28, 1969. But there's actually some question as to whether or not Sylvia was there in attendance that first night. Although, as she tells it, in 1969, the night of the Stonewall riot, was a very hot, muggy night. We were in the Stonewall bar, and the lights came on. We all stopped dancing. The police came in. They had gotten their payoff earlier in the week, but Inspector Pine came in, him and his moral squad, to spend more of the government's money. We were led out of the bar, and they cattled us all up against the police vans. The cops pushed us up against the grates and the fences. People started throwing pennies, nickels, and quarters at the cops. And then the bottle started. And then finally, we had the moral squad barricaded in the Stonewall building, because they were actually afraid of us at that time. They didn't know we were going to react that way. We were not taking any more of this shit. We had done so much for other movements. It was time. 
It was street gay people from the village out front, homeless people who lived in the park in Sheridan Square outside the bar, and then drag queens behind them, and everybody behind us. The Stonewall Inn telephone lines were cut, and they were left in the dark. One village voice reporter was in the bar at the time, and according to the archives of the village voice, he was handed a gun from Inspector Pine and told, we've got to fight our way out of there. This was after one Molotov cocktail was thrown, and we were ramming the door of the Stonewall bar with an uprooted parking meter. So they were ready to come out shooting that night. Finally, the tactical police force showed up after 45 minutes. A lot of people forget that for 45 minutes, we had them trapped in there. All of us were working for so many movements at that time. Everyone was involved with the women's movement, the peace movement, the civil rights movement. We were all radicals. I believe that's what brought it around. However, historian David Carter released an article in 2019 laying out the case against Sylvia's participation at Stonewall, claiming that it was highly unlikely that Rivera was actually there, although Marsha P. Johnson certainly was. Regardless, after Stonewall, Rivera became involved with the Gay Activist Alliance and the Gay Liberation Front, two organizations that grew out of the Stonewall riots. And from there, Sylvia and Marsha founded STAR, along with um, Bubbles Rose Lee, uh, B.B. Scarpy, Bambi Lamore, and Endora, with the goal of organizing and sheltering homeless, gay, and trans youth. After their first home, a trailer truck in a parking lot in Greenwich Village, was towed away, they raised enough funds with the help of the Gay Liberation Front to rent a four-bedroom apartment on 2nd Avenue. They envisioned the top floor as a school to teach the youth who lived there to read and write. To pay rent, Marsha and Sylvia did sex work with the idea that if they did, the kids they housed wouldn't have to. Rivera also became involved with the Young Lords, um, which is a Puerto Rican revolutionary community-based organization, and connected with Huey Newton and the Black Panthers, um, which was a Marxist-Leninist Black power group. Star, the Young Lords, and the Black Panthers uh, share a lot of similar political ideologies. Um, in Star's manifesto, they condemn um, homophobia, racism, targeted incarceration, police harassment, and also demanded the right to self-determination, an end to job discrimination and street harassment, free education, health care, food and social services for all oppressed people. So. With all of these groups, there is a similar multifaceted, um, not single issue response to the oppression that they are facing. The Star House was only in existence until July of 1971, and by 1973, Star had effectively disbanded. At the 1973 Christopher Street Liberation Day Parade, which is the precursor to our modern Pride Day Parade, Sylvia stormed the stage and gave her famous Y'all Better Quiet Down speech. Um, and was booed by the crowd. Um, and I'll play a little bit of that here so you can hear it. Them. I 
will not no longer put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? What the fuck's wrong with you all? Think about that. It's a little unclear to me how connected these next moments are, but after leaving the stage, she was talking about her participation at Stonewall, and Marcia said, you know you weren't there. Shortly after this, Rivera left Manhattan for Terrytown, a suburb in Westchester County, and worked in food services for the Marriott and organized drag shows. During this time, she was not involved in activist work in the same ways as she had been, and it's unclear to me how much she and Marcia were in communication. In 1992, Marsha P. Johnson's body was found in the Hudson River. Her death was quickly ruled a suicide by police despite the presence of a head wound and many of those closest to her insisting that she was not suicidal. Upon receiving the news of her friend's death, Sylvia returned to New York and lived on the Christopher Street piers where she was an advocate for homeless gay people and others who were left behind by the mainstream assimilationist gay movement. In 1997, Rivera moved to Park Slope, Brooklyn, and joined Transy House, a collective home based on the vision of Star that was started by trans people a few years earlier. In early 2001, following the murder of trans woman Amanda Milan, Rivera briefly resurrected Star, now called the Street Transgender Action Revolutionaries, and fought for a transgender civil rights bill and a trans-inclusive New York State Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act. She spent the last several years of her life speaking publicly about Stonewall, activism, and against an assimilationist gay politic. Rivera struggled with substance use and suicidality at various points in her life, and she died of liver cancer in 2002. Before we go on, just a quick note about language. Um, language is ever-evolving, and Rivera used many words to describe herself throughout her life, including drag queen, transvestite, and transgender. Um, and she both understood herself as part of the gay community and also um, had a very complicated relationship with um, cis gay men and women. So I will be using all of those words throughout this episode. All right, let's talk about astrology. So for birth charts of famous people, there is a rating system called the Rodden rating system that essentially rates the accuracy of charts and how accurate the birth information is. Um, when I started this podcast, I initially thought that I would just be using charts that were given um, an A or double A, which is the highest rating for charts. Um, but Sylvia's chart is given a B rating. Um, but Given that the information comes from a direct quote from Sylvia and that her ascendant is solidly in the middle of the sign that it's in, I think that we can trust this birth information. So, Sylvia was a Taurus rising. She had the sun in Cancer, the moon in Gemini, Mercury was in Cancer. Venus, the ascendant ruler, was in Leo, Mars is in Gemini, Jupiter is in Aries, and Saturn is in Virgo. 
And again, the chart will be in show notes. And I think this episode will be structured pretty similar to the last one where we will go through sun, moon, rising, ruler of the ascendant, the benefic of sect, and the malefic contrary to sect. So the sun. Sylvia's son was in Cancer in the third house. And Cancer is the cardinal water sign. So because it's cardinal, it's all about initiating. And then because it's water, it's all about the emotional realm. So with Cancer, it's initiating emotional bonds, in particular ones that feel familial. Cancer is the sign of the crab. So you get this protective, defensive outer shell with a soft, caring individual on the inside. So her purpose is about developing emotional bonds and protecting the people she cares most about. The archetype of Cancer is all about nurturing and creating a sense of family, protecting the people you love. Um, With Cancer, I like to think about people who create a safe container to build emotional intimacy in, like by having that protective outer shell they open up space within that where other people are more comfortable opening up and sharing and developing that emotional intimacy. And I think the most obvious example of Sylvia's cancer son was Star and Star House. In an interview with Leslie Feinberg, um, Sylvia said, quote, Marcia and I just decided it was time to help each other and help our other kids. We fed people and clothed people. We kept the building going. We went out and hustled the streets. We paid the rent. We didn't want the kids out in the streets hustling. They would go out and rip off food. There was always food in the house and everyone had fun. There's a sense of being bonded to the other people involved in Star as a family unit. And to do that, she and Marsha created a political home and a literal home for her community for her, quote, kids. And she was seen as the mother of the house, the nurturer, the caretaker. Chelsea Goodwin, who lived at Transy House, had this to say about Sylvia. Marcia and Sylvia got a hold of this building and they were using it. It's sort of the model for Transy House here, in fact, as a uh, kind of collective place for the uh, trans girls that were out living on the street, you know, homeless. Marsha and Sylvia mothered them. I mean, they mothered everybody. So I considered Sylvia to be my mother. Everybody in this house called her Ma. I mean, she was... uh, That's what she was. Even before Star, when Sylvia had enough money to rent a hotel room, she would sneak as many people as she could into the room for the night. So with that cancer son, there's a real commitment to sheltering and caring for people who feel like family. And what's interesting is that the sun rules the sign of Leo, and Leo is her fourth house of home and family. And I think that really emphasizes the importance of Star having a physical location. Star was not just a community space with this emotional sense of familial connection or a political organizing base, but it was an actual home for many people. And with her son being located in the third house, the third house is our neighborhood, our local community, and Star is a local organization. It is her community. Um, 
because she struggled with homelessness for most of her life. She's not coming in to someone else's space and saying, hey, I have something for you. She was a homeless uh, young trans person. She was 17 or 18 when Star was forming. And I think the story of the formation of Star is also a very third house story. So on September 20th, 1970, there was a sit-in protest at Weinstein Hall of New York University after the administration had canceled uh, dances there because they were sponsored by a gay organization. Over the course of the five-day sit-in, many activists were planning and networking, um, and that is where uh, Sylvia first got the idea for what would eventually become Star House. Uh, on the final day of the sit-in, uh, the activists were forcibly removed by riot police, and after their removal, activists gathered on the steps of Weinstein Hall. Rivera and other homeless trans activists were the last to disperse, and so. The organization was born out of Sylvia's commitment to showing up for local activism and then just like hanging out on the steps with her community. So these are people from her community that she's invested in helping and creating a home for. I think the other important third house theme is siblings, and I think arguably one of, if not the most important relationships in Sylvia's life was with Marsha. And that relationship was based in a sisterhood. You know, this episode is about Sylvia, but I'm talking a lot about Marsha because it's kind of hard to separate them. In a 1995 interview, Sylvia said, when Marsha died, part of me went with her. I actually feel her spirit telling me, you gotta keep fighting, girly. So that link between them was very deep and was based in a real sisterhood. And before we move on from the sun, I just wanna talk about one more aspect, which is this sun-Uranus conjunction. And again, we don't know for certain that this is an exact birth time, but because the sun moves about a degree a day and Uranus moves much slower than that, I think we can trust the closeness of this conjunction. So her sun is at nine degrees and 34 minutes of Cancer, and Uranus is at nine degrees and 40 minutes of Cancer. So you really can't get very much closer than that. Uranus is the planet of rebellion, revolution, the unexpected. And with people who have a prominent Uranus in their chart, they can be rebellious and innovative, but might come across as willful or disrespectful. And certainly Sylvia embodied all of those things. While she worked with groups like the Gay Activist Alliance and the Gay Liberation Front, she was often at odds with them because of her rebelliousness and her insistence against an assimilationist politics that would have left um, trans people and drag queens behind in order to appeal to those in power. Historian Martin Duberman once referred to her as wildly unreliable, 
which feels very Sun Uranus. Um, and she really thought of herself as a revolutionary. To Leslie Feinberg, she said, I was a radical, a revolutionist. I still am a revolutionist. I'm glad I was at the Stonewall riot. I remember when someone threw a Molotov cocktail, I thought, my God, the revolution is here. The revolution is finally here. She was a divisive character. Randy Wicker, who was involved with the Gay Activist Alliance and was at Stonewall, said, We were arch enemies for the first 22 years of the 32 years that we knew each other. But then later, she ended up becoming one of my best friends in life, became one of the most special, wonderful, incredible people I ever knew. And of course, there was the Y'all Better Quiet Down speech that we heard earlier, where she stormed the stage of the 1973 Christopher Street Liberation Day Parade. She addresses the crowd and is asking them to remember the role that she and all the other members of STAR have played in the movement, and she's met with boos from the crowd. I think this is a really potent example of how the same archetype can be understood in many ways based on who the person is. You know, because she was Puerto Rican and Venezuelan, because she was gay, because she was trans, because she was a sex worker, because she was a substance user, her son Uranus conjunction was read by others as disruptive and maybe even rude, as opposed to seeing her as a revolutionary, innovative leader. Which is frustrating because... You know, this Sun-Uranus conjunction is happening in Cancer. So her rebelliousness and disruptiveness is all about care. For example, sometime in the mid-1990s, she was banned from the New York City Gay and Lesbian Community Center after she demanded that the center take care of poor and homeless queer youth on a freezing winter night. Okay, let's talk about her moon. So the moon in Sylvia's chart is really important for a couple of reasons. The first is that because she was born at night, the moon is her sect light. And then because the sun is in cancer and the moon rules a sign of cancer, the moon is in charge of her sun. And then the final reason is that the Moon is the exaltation ruler of Taurus, which is her rising sign. So all that to say, the moon plays a really important role. And her moon is in uh, Gemini, in the second house. And with the moon in astrology, uh, similar to how we can see the moon in the night sky because the sun's light reflects off of it, the moon... In astrology is a reflection of our purpose, which is the sun, in the material, day-to-day, physical realm. And I think the relationship between Sylvia's sun and moon is really reflective of that relationship. And I think there's a couple of reasons why this plays out particularly in her chart. One is just, again, the moon rules the sign of Cancer, so the moon rules her sun, but also Mercury which rules the sign of Gemini, is in Cancer in her chart. So the Moon and Mercury are in what's called a mutual reception, 
essentially they've done like a house swap, which creates a line of connection between them to share resources and information. So for those reasons, the Gemini and Cancer parts of Sylvia's chart are a little more interwoven than they might otherwise be. So let's take a look at how this plays out. So Gemini is a mutable air sign, so it's all about being adaptable in social and intellectual connections. I think with Gemini moons, there's this capacity for intellectual sparring, and I think there we get her rebellious Sun-Uranus conjunction manifesting through speech and communication with that intellectual sparring, with the y'all better quiet down speech with her demanding that the gay and lesbian center shelter homeless youth. And those are only two examples of many. She's not afraid to say what she's thinking or feeling, even if it's not polite or the proper thing to say or the moment to say it. And then with Gemini being the second house, which is all about personal resources, when people have the moon in the second, I've often found that there's a relationship between emotional well-being and having basic survival needs met. And, you know, of course, that is true for everyone. But I think with people who have the moon in the second, there's a little bit more awareness or attention paid to that connection. And... The way that she lives out her purpose of caring for community and building familial bonds with friends was by trying to make sure that everyone had the baseline personal resources of shelter, food, and education through Starhouse. And while she didn't have access to a ton of excess in terms of personal resources to share, she did use her own resources in order to do that care work, like by sharing her hotel room when she had one. And one more thing about Gemini. So Gemini is the sign of the twins. And I think if Gemini can teach us something, it is about multiplicity and in particular, uh, multiplicity of truth. Um, that many stories can play out of the same series of events and that doesn't make any of them less true. There's a story that historian David Carter tells about a conversation that he had with Bob Kohler, who was a close friend of Sylvia's who was at Stonewall. Kohler says that Rivera was not at the riots and arrived downtown two weeks later, but even though she wasn't there, Kohler wanted Carter to portray the story as if she was because he felt it was important that young Puerto Rican trans people living on the streets would get to have her as a role model. And Kohler recounts a conversation that he had with Sylvia about her participation at Stonewall. So she says, Bob, will you back me on my having thrown the first Molotov cocktail? And he says, Sylvia, you didn't throw a Molotov cocktail. And she says, will you back me on my having thrown the first brick? And he says, Sylvia, you didn't throw a brick. And finally she says, 
will you back me on my having thrown the first bottle? And he says, I will back you on having thrown a bottle. So it's probably not true that Silvia Rivera was at Stonewall on June 28, 1969, and that's okay. It is still true that she was one of the founders of the modern trans movement. Um, and I think with Gemini, we have this capacity to see both of those things um, and hold them as both true. All right. And then she was a Taurus rising. And Taurus is the fixed earth sign. And the rising sign is related to what motivates us and what we want to be known for. And Sylvia wants to be known for, you know, using the resources that she had to make something tangible and beautiful and solid. And there's a moment where she's on um, stage at the Christopher Street Liberation Day Parade, and she's talking about, like, who do people call when they need help? They call me. They call Star. And with Star, her and Marsha and the others involved had built something that was tangible and beautiful and solid, at least for the time that it existed. And she wanted the greater community to see that and to see her in it. And her ascendant is ruled by Venus. So Venus is both the ascendant ruler, and then because she was born at night, it is the benefic of sect, which again is the planet capable of doing the most good. And with Venus being in Leo in the fourth, Venus wants to connect by way of that bold, fiery nature of Leo. Um, and it wants to connect in the realm of home and family, which is the fourth house. And I think that Venus being the benefic of sect and the ascendant ruler in the fourth house is part of what makes it possible for Star to be able to rent a house. Venus is trying to bring about good things for Sylvia in the realm of home and family. And as the Ascendant Ruler, that goodness is also related to her life's direction and what she's known for. And it's funny because actually she wasn't the one who rented the house. Um, it was Bubbles Rosalie. But we, in general, I would say don't remember Bubbles. We remember Sylvia and she is the person we associate with Star. Okay, and then let's take a look at Saturn, because Saturn is the malefic contrary to sect. Um, and so it is the planet that is capable of causing the most problems for Sylvia. And I want to talk about Saturn in the context of this T-square between Saturn at 26 degrees of Virgo, Mars at 28 degrees of Gemini, and Chiron at 29 degrees of Sagittarius. And a T-square is basically, you have two squares um, that involve um, one of the same planet. So essentially, we have Mars in Gemini and Chiron in Sagittarius in an opposition, 
and they are both square to Saturn in Virgo. And with this setup where Saturn is in the fifth house of children and creative projects, Mars is in the second house of personal resources, and Chiron is in the eighth house of other people's resources or shared resources, I think this is kind of telling this overarching story of her life and her work, which is about the relationship between the resources that she had access to, the resources that the community had to share with her, and her relationship with the people she felt were her children. Despite spending most of her activism dedicated to making sure her children were sheltered and also fighting for her and her children's rights, like with the um, New York State Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act and trying to get the Gay Activist Alliance and later the Human Rights Campaign to be trans-inclusive, she really struggled. She was homeless for almost all the time that she lived in Manhattan and she struggled with substance use and suicidality. And she really felt at many points left behind by the more mainstream gay movement. So Chiron is a minor planet and it is the wounded healer. So with Chiron, the idea is like, we all have a deep core wound that will be part of us for our whole lives. But by learning how to have that wound and how to heal it, we are then able to teach others how to deal with similar situations. So with Chiron being in her eighth house of shared resources, she's watching as more and more resources are becoming available to the cis gays and lesbians in her community, but those same resources are not being shared with her and other trans people. There's this sense of like, wait a minute, I thought we were in this together, but instead you've forgotten about me. I just want to play a quick clip of her talking about that feeling. Um, And this is in an interview from 2001. This is no longer my pride. I gave them their pride, but they have not given me mine. Or at a talk she gave as a guest speaker for the Latino Gay Men of New York, um, she said a similar thing, and this is also from 2001. So she said, I've heard a lot of positive things in this room tonight as far as people realizing that the trans community was your benefactor and that people are opening up their eyes. But you've got to remember, don't just say that because we're here. Show your support when we send out a call for action to support our actions, the things that we plan to do. I mean, it was a hurting feeling that on May 4th, 2001, we had a history-breaking civil rights win for city council. Our bill was finally introduced. Wow. We waited this long, but where were my sisters and brothers? Where were my children that I liberated? Very few allies showed up. So there's this sense of like, I gave what I had so that you all, my children, could have more, but then 
you won't share the resources that I helped you get with me, even after all I've done for you. Sylvia's life was not easy, and the hurt that she felt was well-warranted. Um, she was criminalized, and her contributions to the movement were not recognized until the very end of her life. And I want to bring what she's saying about being left behind into a modern context, because we are in this moment of conservative assimilationist gays and lesbians disavowing drag queens and trans people in this like conservative LGB without the T movement. Um, there is an attempt to drop trans people from the movement because, I don't know, they believe this will protect them from danger or keep their rights safe. And we've seen this happen before. It happened to Sylvia in the early 1970s when the Gay Activist Alliance dropped portions of a civil rights bill that included transvestites and drag queens because they believed it would be more likely to pass. It happened in the early 2000s when the human rights campaign consciously excluded transgender as a protected category in the Employment Non-Discrimination Act that they were trying to pass. Um, and Sylvia was fighting for trans inclusion on that on her deathbed. Um, and with the Gay Activist Alliance bill, that bill didn't pass until 1986. And with the Human Rights Campaign bill, um, that bill has not passed. Um, in 2020, there was a Supreme Court case, Bostock versus Clayton County, which ruled that sexual orientation and gender identity are protected categories for employment discrimination. But as I am recording this, it is in the wake of um, a series of Supreme Court decisions that include that it is uh, now okay to discriminate um, based on sexual orientation and gender identity. So I want to be clear that I'm sharing these examples not because I believe that having these legal protections would be the thing that makes queer and trans people safe, because I think this past week um, has certainly shown that that's not true. And also because, as Dean Spade, founder of the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, explains, law reform work merely tinkers with systems to make them look more inclusive while leaving their most violent operations intact. But I'm sharing them because they serve as examples that an assimilationist appeal towards normalcy doesn't even get us legal rights. I think. If we, as Sylvia's children, which I think we are, want to help heal that eighth house wound that she had, we will do it not by appealing to the state, but by pooling collective resources like Star House and making sure that the people who need it the most are getting the resources that they need. And I think if you are like, okay, but how do I actually do that? A good place to start is with a book that was actually written by Dean Spade, which is called Mutual Aid. Dean is directly working with the legacy of Sylvia Rivera as the founder of the Sylvia Rivera Law Project. 
Okay, that is what I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have uh, thoughts, questions, feedback, someone you want me to do an episode on, you can find me on social media. On Twitter, it is EHAstrology. And on Instagram, it's um, Ellie Higgins Astro. And thank you again to Bobby for production work on this episode and for writing the theme music with me. 